everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show. Are you ready to plunge yourself into darkness and fight off evil, youthful Alan Arkin? Because I am. Janine, are you? <laughs> I am. Good, because so is Audrey Hepburn. So that's all we're here for. Yes, success. It's episode 185 of It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show this week. And Janine, we have a very nice movie we're talking about today. Well, is it a nice movie or is it a ridiculously evil movie full of evil things going on? But I tell you what, it's very good. Yes, um, I had been wanting to watch this one for a while. Um, I'd seen it on, I think, a couple of countdown lists I happened to be watching. Um, yes. I like different Audrey Hepburn performances. And um, someone also recommended it to me when I was talking about uh, underrated um, horror performances or horror performances that should have been nominated. I was talking about other actors that hadn't been nominated for their really great horror roles um, because horror tends to get ignored. Um, you know, <laughs> by the Academy. And oh, somebody goodness. somebody suggested this in my comments. Oh, well, have you seen this movie with Audrey Hepburn? Uh, I do believe she did get a nomination, but I don't think it's talked about that much. So um, definitely has been on my radar for a bit to watch. And so I thought, yeah, you know, we, we are holding on to spooky season <laughs> as tight as we can. <laughs> we do not want to give it up. And while this isn't a straight horror, this still kind of fits with the thriller kind of darker vibes. Um, so I thought this would be a good pick for this week's show. It's certainly a thriller. It, it's, it, it feels at times a little bit like a Hitchcock thriller, but almost with darker things going on, a little bit more evilness to it than your average Hitchcock thriller, I think. Well, yeah, I do believe I am in kind of researching. I saw that it was written by the same, the play was written by um, the same writer of Dial M for Murder. So there's okay. a little connection there. So I okay. guess that's where we get the similar vibes, perhaps. Possibly. Um, I wouldn't call it a horror movie myself. No. But it's certainly a pretty dark, tense thriller. And one that, yeah, one that I haven't seen before either. And isn't it always nice to see a new movie yeah. with such a huge name like Audrey Hepburn? You go through somebody like that's uh, catalogue of movies and you get to see exactly what they're about. This is a very unique role for Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. This isn't the graceful person we are used to seeing in any sense, really. This is a much more down-to-earth kind of figure. Yes. A much more vulnerable kind of figure, but also vulnerable in the sense that, well, physically... Audrey Hepburn is playing a blind woman in this movie, so vulnerable in that sense. But also very, very much standing up for herself in the face of danger, in the face of adversity in the latter period of this movie. Which, not to say Audrey Hepburn doesn't do that, but in most of Audrey Hepburn's movies, she doesn't even get a chance to do that because that's not remotely what the movie's about. Yeah. Definitely a different side of her and um, was really excited to kind of see uh, a different take from her. So 
It's fun. It's uh, fun to learn, I suppose, and actually quite interesting to to see that Audrey Hepburn got nominated for an Oscar for this movie. Yeah, uh, playing. I wouldn't necessarily call it entirely against type because what is type when it's this kind of thing? But it's certainly playing a different persona, more physical, of character. and darker, and more, um, like you said, vulnerable type character. It's just a totally different movie to what we are used to seeing somebody like Audrey Hepburn yeah. begin. I think we definitely see her more intrigue comes from. Yeah, we definitely see her. I think more of a comedic, a romantic type. Yes, um, a. Yeah, I su- yeah, I suppose so. But I, I certainly also see her as a very grand regal figure. Yes. Who Agreed. glides about the screen with just poise and grace, like a a walking swan. Yes, Audrey but this Hepburn, movie, Audrey Hepburn, she, the walking swan. Yes, she's a she's blind, so we do see her kind of stumble and fumble, and even to that end, she doesn't consider herself a very good blind person. <laughs> like, um, no. like you know, being blind is something that she's had struggle getting used to, you know, um, and so she's still trying to navigate, um that lifestyle of somebody who's blind. So yeah, not only to just be vulnerable in that sense, but to also, you know, just not be a very good blind person and her having to kind of attune herself to things more um, going on around her for her own safety and survival. Yeah. It's a good point that you bring up there because typically you might expect if Audrey Hepburn was playing a character that had, you know, that at first wasn't a perfect character in terms of human perfection. She would at least play the perfect type of that blind person. And like, I think uh, typically we do see when blind people are in movies or movies about blind people, they're like, you know, attuned to every smell in the room and they can sense things really well. And, you know, they can tell who's standing next to them and know voices really well. And they're like on this other level because, you know, when one sense is down, your other sentence, your senses are heightened. Um, so you like these blind people almost have like this daredevil level <laughs> super ability um, in, in a lot of movies that you kind of see and that Hollywood kind of style of, of somebody like that. So to see her kind of struggle um, it felt very kind of, different for her and and more kind of real well don't we get a little bit of that though towards the end of this movie don't we yes get a little bit she does of kind of hepburn playing to her strength shall we say not audrey hepburn the actor audrey hepburn the character who i will henceforth refer to as audrey hepburn <laughs> as i have Susie. no idea what the character was called Susie, but th- that's typical for you to that (laughs) um but yes and i i you know we will get into to all of that but first yes we have something to do morgan what's that then we have to say a huge thank you to the it's a wonderful podcast patrons we certainly do because every week on an episode of one of the shows here we give all our lovely patrons of it's a wonderful podcast a nice big hearty thank you because we love them, we are so grateful for them, and their endless support and generosity 
If you would like to join them, if you would like to join us on the Patreon, just go to It's a Wonderful Podcast on Patreon or patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one. Find the tier that's right for you. A whole bunch of fun stuff we have going on on Patreon and a better and more intimate way of interacting with us, Janine. Yes. So, first off, we have to say, and we love saying, a lovely thank you to Maxwell Haddad. And thank you to Amber Coates. Thank you to Abby Friel. Thank you, Ferris Muthana. Thank you to Janine's brother, Justin, 90s Comics Box. Thank you, Video Drew. Thank you to Adelaide. Thank you, Christina Farrow. Thank you, Heather Sabian. Thank you, Megan McCurley, a.k.a. Dr. Megs. Thank you to Marcus Burton. Thank you to Movie Fanobi Steve. Thank you, Samia Tesfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you, Carla Feese. Thank you, Delisha Butler. Thank you to GG. Thank you to the great Ken Napsock. Thank you to Tom and Kimber of the Odd Shape Channel. And thank you, Billy Pollahan. Yes, applause for the patrons. They are wonderful people. Very much like Audrey Hepburn, they are the picture of perfection. Because, I mean, this is just what Audrey Hepburn has become in the world, really, isn't it? She is just an absolute... You think of a picture-perfect person. Yeah, like she never really had any... It's generally Audrey Hepburn, just in terms of being a wonderful human being. Yes, never having any crazy scandals, you know, always seen to be a very, you know, poised and... and, uh, kind person and you know great to work with and all you you know she was not somebody who had a lot of crazy kind of stories about her and you know no but who's to say you know one won't show up in 10 years time (laughs) oh remember that one time cancel audrey (laughs) oh for god's sake oh dear oh dear I don't even want to get into a discussion yeah, about no. that sort of thing. I really don't. <laughs> yes, yes, that was a, people. That was a fleeting joke that I hope would yeah. just come and go. <laughs> and let's leave it. Let's leave yes, it. Yes, let's alone. leave it there. <laughs> because this movie deserves to be talked about. I think I came across this on a, a countdown list myself, Janine, actually. Perhaps of scary moments or something like that yes i believe i i discovered this scary moments um countdown list on an episode of uh the dead meat podcast they were talking about this Uh, list and so for spooky season i'd kind of put it on in the background while i was doing things and um there's a scary moment in this film of her just in complete darkness with one of our villains. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay. And then I do think I was also studying Audrey Hepburn and there was kind of a countdown of like some of her best performances in this movie was also on there. So. Well, I mean, I would agree with that. I really think it is because I think it's one of the more impressive performances I've actually seen from her. It might not be her biggest performance or her most you know grandest performance or most iconic performance but it's really impressive because like we said before it's different in every way to what 
we're generally used to seeing from her, which is why I think it's really good that she was nominated for an Oscar for this movie. I mean, generally, the, the Academy liked Audrey Hepburn anyway. But yeah. I think it was good that she was nominated for... And recognized for playing something quite different than what we've seen from her before. Exactly. Exactly. It's a really intense movie. It is based on a play, like you said before. You can very much tell. The staging. It takes place in kind of one setting, like a like a bottle episode, which it would be called in TV format. But yeah, it just yeah. takes kind of place, all place in one location. But it's also got pretty... If you would, if you read a little bit, not deeper, not deeper, that's the wrong word I was just thinking of there. But if you look at what's actually going on on the underlayer of this movie, shall we say, it's actually about drug smuggling. Yeah. And apparently drug smuggling's really easy in the 60s. Right. You just get on a plane and don't show them what you've got, and it's fine. Yeah. uh, About your business. A grown woman can just be carrying around a baby doll, and nobody thinks that's weird at all. No, nobody (laughs) checks to see what it is. Or how much heroin might be in there. Yeah. Nobody's interested in that. They just, okay, have a nice trip. (laughs) They say to Lisa, I think her name is, at the beginning of the movie, who ends up transporting quite a sizable amount Amount of heroin heroin. in in this little doll, this musical doll. And, uh, well, basically the entire movie is Alan Arkin, Richard Krenner from Rambo, <laughs> and that other dude who I've never from, seen before. <laughs> I'm from Dirty Dancing. He was Mr. I believe it's Kellerman, him. the owner of the uh the uh resort that they go to in Dirty Dancing. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> good pull. Good pull, Janine. Well done. Yes. <laughs> Those three are after the doll full of drugs. For the entire movie. You might not think that sounds like a particularly gripping plot to fill an hour and 45. But it just, I don't know what else to say. It just really is. It really is. There's not much plot going on, I suppose. But there's, I mean, this plays out perfectly because it's a play but there's a bunch of just extended scenes of people playing off each other people tricking each other people that you know they're trying to get their story perfectly straight so they can get what they need and get out of there there's disguises there's disguises involved alan arkin ends up playing (laughs) three different people and they credit him in the credits as three different people as well (laughs) i love that i love that and what i actually also like about this movie is that audrey hepburn's husband in this movie is played by the outstandingly named ephraim zimbalis jr who played uh, Batman the Animated Series, Alfred. Oh, yes. (laughs) But you wouldn't know that because he's not using an English accent in this movie. No. (laughs) But it's it's still him. 
which is that's a nice bit of yeah facts. Love that. Everybody. I love I love the animated series. Like I had no idea until you told me that. I was like, oh my gosh, yay! <laughs> but I actually do think the whole movie is made by two outstanding performances. One of which is Audrey Hepburn's. The other of which is Alan. Alan Arkin. Arkin. Yeah. He is deeply evil. Yes. In this and... movie. But not, not two-dimensionally. Not kind of mustache, mustache twirling. Mustache twirling, yeah. Not Cartoonish, yeah. Cartoonishly. Not loud or intimidating, but just quietly, casually, dominatingly cruel. Yes, and the fact that he's so calm about everything he's doing is completely unnerving. It, it works so well. I think his outfit actually works to help that. Like, he's wearing this really kind of tight leather jacket that just looks... He, he almost looks... I don't know. I don't know what... How, I don't really know how to describe it. He looks um, just very precise. And these like beady, like hippie-ish glasses. Yeah. He's got like this comb forward hair, which is just weird in general seeing Alan Arkin with hair. So he feels like not the Alan Arkin that I like I think most people have known him, you know, as. Like I think for me, I didn't know who he was until like older generation Alan Arkin. So to see a young Alan Arkin, I was definitely able to, you know, change the identity of, of what I knew of him in watching this movie he was not the same actor that i had seen in pre in you know later things in his career no because, i mean he, no because he's not he's not kind of a little bit gruff yeah that he ha- has been in his later performances he's very smooth yeah very co- full of confidence and like you said everything about him is kind of shiny and sleek yeah and that's with his costume with his weird shiny black hair and his little sunglasses and his leather jacket but that's also his character is just very sleek and smooth and always knows exactly what path he's on isn't going to get faltered by anybody several steps ahead of other people as well ahead even when richard krenner and the guy from dirty dancing come into (laughs) it you know he's there running them to as well even though those two are after the same thing he's after he's always in charge because he's also a little bit well a lot a bit the scariest of the three of them he has his little distinguishable knife that he calls geraldine yeah. comes out of a little ornament that he carries around i like that feature yeah that's really particular and kind of cool but he's so captivating in this movie there's times like when he's using his disguises to (laughs) fool audrey hepburn i mean not that he needs to fool audrey hepburn with a full disguise given the fact that audrey hepburn is blind blind, but i think if just anybody saw him coming or going then they they would see that it was different people and this is why I'm not a criminal, Janine, because <laughs> I, I wouldn't think like that. I would get caught immediately. So I guess if I think like that, I just have a criminal mind. 
but perhaps that's not a bad thing because perhaps that would just make you a good crime fighter. Okay, thank you for putting that spin on. <laughs> and I'm just a simpleton, clearly. Well, see, like, I, and I think that just plays into like what we always talk about: how you and me watch movies very differently. You kind of just let yeah. things, let the movie take you where it's going. I'm always kind of looking a couple steps ahead or trying to think about a process of something or find a reasoning behind something and make sense of it as it's happening. You're kind of just like, I'm on this journey. Tell me what you need to tell me. Show me what you need to show me and I'll figure it out at the end. I'm just like, I want to know what he's doing. Why did he do that? Why is he wearing that thing? Why is it, you know, why is he dressed like Colonel Sanders? Like what? Like that's a little bit like Colonel Sanders at one um, point. Yes. So yes, I'm always trying to kind of watch the movie um and maybe figure out motivations like subconsciously um trying to figure out motivations and why people are doing things they do so i think yeah when i saw him have two different costumes to be two different people for a blind woman at first i was kind of like why is that necessary she can't see you but i guess maybe if she touched him or felt his face or felt his hair it would feel different or you know the little girl who's also in the story who is kind of helping out uh, Audrey Hepburn's Susie character. If she saw him entering and exiting, she would see that it was two seemingly different people coming in and coming and going. So I'm almost tempted to put Alan Arkin on the mustache hall of fame for his two <laughs> excellent false Fake mustaches. Um, is that allowed? Is, is that allowed? I think we've, I think we have had a false mustache on the mustache hall of fame before. I'm, I'm tempted. I might just do it. Hell, yeah. Alan Arkin. Which one though? Uh, ooh, no, he can be a he can be a dual inductee because okay. it's only one movie, isn't it? So it's yes. just Alan Arkin in Wait until Wait dark. until dark. Who junior and senior? <laughs> yeah, what's his name? Wrote 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 junior and wrote senior. <laughs> so well done, Alan, for successfully. Making false mustaches look very good. Well done. Well done. Did you find yourself um, watching the movie as you have just described with this one? Do you need it? Because it, it's not as much a mystery, really, because you know exactly what's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's just a matter of when she's going to figure out what is going on and if, you know, how she's going to survive this. Um, yeah, because it must be said, you know. Audrey Hepburn has come into the possession of this doll full of heroin. Yes. Because it's been it's been hidden in her apartment by this Lisa girl. Yes, Lisa. She saw somebody, which was, I believe, wrote Alan Arkin, yes. watching her at the airport. So she passes the doll off to Audrey Hepburn's husband, Sam, and gives it yeah. to him. So it's out of her possession and he doesn't get it. Only for her to kind of think, okay, once I get away from Alan Arkin, I can go to to him and find him and get the doll back later um but, but she does she not get dies. that chance she doesn't get that chance um no, which which is a really kind of great suspenseful surprise which we do get um early on in the movie um so i think it, the word is out that this doll is at this apartment and was in the possession of sam so they do um the two other men um go to her apartment and they're snooping around trying to find it. And that's when Alan Arkin kind of stumbles upon them and tries to make a plan to work together with them to kind of trick Audrey Hepburn to 
figure out the whereabouts of the doll because there's a safe in the apartment. So they're thinking maybe it's in there. So we need her to open it. Um, and they know that she's blind so they can come up with a good plan to kind of mess with her. Um, so that's kind of where the story kicks off. And as the two men are kind of snooping around in general, that's when they do find the body of Lisa hanging up in the closet. Um, yeah. So, like, and Roach almost- doesn't seem very surprised about that. <laughs> No, because I wonder how it's got there. Yeah. It hasn't by any chance got anything to do with you, has it? Yeah. And then he immediately has a plan of, oh, this is how we're going to dispose of it. Like, because he he already knew how he was going to dispose of it, but he wanted to hang it there to freak these two guys out to kind of run point on this whole plan to kind of show them what he's capable of to kind of show. And he even kind of throws more of his authority out there when he kind of calls them out for, you know, if cops come snooping around this place, the first thing you're going to find is your fingerprints. You two were bumbling, fumbling around, touching everything without gloves. And so immediately the kind of more bumbling one, the uh, dirty dancing guy, he's kind of running around trying to wipe up his fingerprints. And he's like, you could be wiping all day, but you're not going to remember everything you touched as he kind of sits quietly in a chair only having touched like that chair. Um, So he already kind of runs point on them at that aspect and shows how smart he is, how much, you know, more smart he is than them and how dangerous he is with letting them just find Lisa's body there. So ultimately now these kind of two end up being his underlings because he's already kind of set himself up as the boss of this whole operation, which I thought was just very slick how he just comes in and sets that up just with a few kind of words, some actions. Cause yeah, he could have killed Lisa and disposed of her body, but he chose to hang it up there so that they could find it and know, look what's, what could happen to you if you don't listen to me, we could all get out of this, but you just have to listen to me because look what I can do, you know, and look how dumb you are. You need someone smart like me to prevent you from, you know, cocking this up. So I love kind of that setup. You feel almost entranced by him. Yeah. Because he's so in charge, you know, above these other two people. And uh, although I do think Richard Krenner does try to out-coat him. Yes. With Richard Krenner's lovely coat that he's wearing. That pop's collar was very slick. I liked that. It's how (laughs) I wear my coat. So I like, I I have a coat (laughs) like that. So it's how I wear, I always... I swear, you were just meant to be in the 60s, 70s. (laughs) Alan Arkin is wearing a turtleneck in this movie as well, it must be said. As is uh, Audrey Hepburn. As is Audrey Hepburn. (laughs) It just works. It just works, doesn't it? Um, But no, I I am... I did feel kind of entranced by Alan Arkin, not just because his, his performance is particularly good, but his character just has this natural ease to him where you're hanging on everything he says because you know, ultimately, he's going to be the guy with the answers. Yes, and if, you know, you don't want to be on his bad side either. You do not want to be on his bad side because you get on his bad side and Geraldine will come out and it's then stabby, stabby, hang up in the closet time. Yeah, so you know that he's smart in things like this, and you also know he's dangerous. So I love how he kind of just smoothly comes in, sets that up, and then these two kind of fumbling, bumbling dopes just kind of don't know what to do with themselves, which, um, 
you know, I think one is a bit more fumbly than, than the other. But, Certainly. Uh... <laughs> yeah. I think Richard Krenner actually does have a little bit of brain. Yes, I believe there's like, uh, they they were giving me like Horace and Jasper um, 101 Dalmatians <laughs> vibes a little bit. <laughs> Well, no, I think Horace and Jasper are both idiots. Yes, yes they they are. But those two. Maybe it's, it's just the, the dirty dancing guy is very much one of those. Two. He is. I mean, he doesn't do much, bless him, does he? It's not the biggest cast. No, movie, but because it is a very contained kind of, movie. Yeah. He doesn't do a great deal, that dude. Um, you almost feel like he would get tricked by the little girl that helps Audrey Hepburn out. Yes. Who also, I have to say, I do focus on people's costumes sometimes, but that little girl's glasses are just horrible. <laughs> they're, they, they're, they're, those gl they're those glasses that you only get in the 60s. Yes. With the pointed, pointed yeah. things. It just looks... Or on Bob's Burgers. Um... Or perhaps on that show that Morgan doesn't watch. But uh, silly. Silly. I much prefer Alan Arkin's sunglasses. It's very hippie-ish, kind of beady, small, circular yeah. shades. Like John Lennon, if, if he was wearing sunglasses. Yes. And I don't know. I don't know where that thought was going. <laughs> I do like the scenes where Richard Krenner is trying to... Kind of endear himself to Audrey Hepburn as a exactly. friend of Sam's from from the, the, the military. And, um, you know, his it, little notepad with kind of his fake little notes of things he needs to say. I mean, ultimately... You know, the majority of this movie is basically watching these mean people try and trick Audrey Hepburn. A blind Audrey Hepburn. A blind Audrey Hepburn, which you wouldn't think is kind of something you'd want to watch. But, yes. you, can't help, but you can't help wanting to watch it. And hope and, that and she figures it out. Yeah. Hope that she figures it Hope that she figures it out, yes. But also be sometimes impressed by actually the lengths that the criminals are going to. Yes. Because you can just see their, I suppose, in a way, you can see their dedication to actually getting what they should have in the first place, or whether they should actually have it in the first place. Because I don't think they should, should they? they no. They happen to know that the smuggling is going on. So Lisa ends up, yeah, like you said, hiding it with with Sam. Yes. And then just she like wasn't the expecting Alan Arkin to show up at the airport. No. And then just the shady glances that they give each other when they're trying to like keep up the facade of things. Mm. Uh, Mike Mike comes in as a friend popping in to visit Sam. And so, you know, she starts to trust him that, oh yeah, Sam, I knew Sam from the military and we were old friends and he kind of, you know, did a little bit of research so he knows enough information about Sam to to act like he knows him so she's starting to trust him so then when other characters kind of pop in mike uh richard krenna's character is kind of her go-to trust um who acts like he's kind of kind of helping her through the situation so when I mean, um shouldn't be that 
Yeah, obviously shouldn't be that. Oh, we're 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 feeling with all we we you know we're feeling with Audrey Hepburn. Do not trust this man. Yes. But so when um he's obviously in a particularly vulnerable, vulnerable place in this movie. I actually also think I think this is another reason she probably gets nominated is that she actually plays believably blind. Yeah. I remember the last time. It was on Morgan hasn't seen actually that we came uh we came across a, a blind character in a movie and it was in the village. M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. Yes. And it was Bryce Dallas Howard playing the most unconvincing blind character I've ever come Well, yeah, that's what kind of what I mentioned. It's like this, you know, when a lot of times in kind of more modern movies when blind people are depicted, like they show them with, you know, which I, I think is a possible thing. And if you've been blind for a certain amount of time, yes, you kind of have these heightened kind of other senses. But like you don't really see people who are kind of new to it, who struggle and um no are still trying to figure things out. And so we do get moments of Audrey Hepburn really trying to like figure things out. And, you know, there's a moment with um, Alan Arkin in his squeaky shoes when he comes in as one character and the shoes squeak. And then he comes in as a second character and she realizes it's the same shoes, the same squeak. She can kind of notice when somebody is constantly opening and closing the blinds. But these are subtle things that she kind of doesn't realize even until a little bit later when she actually yeah. kind of thinks on it. It's not like this even... supernatural, like daredevil ability of noticing these things right off the bat. I don't even necessarily mean from a character. I'm talking literally about the performance. Like Audrey Hepburn doesn't move her eyes in this movie. Yeah. Which is obviously a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, but Bryce Dallas Howard, she looks like she's to... actually staring at people. <laughs> Correct. I think we remember she's us talking moving about her that. eyes in that movie. A movie, The Village, that I happen to really like, really very much like. But Bryce Dallas Howard in that She's movie. She's focusing her eyes sometimes. <laughs> is entirely not, or almost not focused on the fact that she's supposed to have a vacant stare. Yeah. Which Audrey Hepburn is doing great. Is totally off. She's totally vacant. And it's got to be difficult to actually do. I mean, it's why you. It's why you know I. I do obviously feel for anybody that, that has lost their eyesight or has or never even, known sight. Yes, and even you people must who be horrible. Yeah, people who have lost it recently too, and have are trying to kind of adapt to that and and relearn everything. Yes, um, which I suppose is the case with Audrey Hepburn in this movie isn't it? it was actually an accident that a car accident yeah to lose the sight but from a performance standpoint it reminded me much more of i honestly forget her name now which i'm gonna have to look up quickly from in a, a patch of, of blue. blue yeah i was just gonna mention that we covered that on this show as well who um who gave a great performance an excellent performance in that movie as as a blind as a blind girl and entirely believably yeah which was, which was the same with audrey hepburn and i didn't notice one time in this movie where audrey hepburn didn't look 
vacant in her yeah. eyes. Yeah. Which, you know, it, I, I would struggle to do that. I would really struggle to do that. Elizabeth Hartman. Yes. From a patch of blue. I'm sorry. I just had to focus my mind on doing that for a second because I would have become ridiculously focused on it otherwise. Um, so it was very, it felt very much more similar to that then, than it yeah. did. With something Bryce like a Bryce Dallas Howard in the Yeah. <laughs> Which I would have been, I would have been shocked to be fair if Audrey Hepburn would have gone to to that would have gone that way instead of how she ended up doing it yeah correct yes because it's Audrey Hepburn and we, we expect greatness from Audrey Hepburn and we get greatness from Audrey Hepburn that is the point but I was just really impressed with her because that is something you are going to notice if it is off yes and like and I said something that is going to bother you and take you out of watching the, the believability of and yeah and it makes those situations where her blindness is the key kind of factor of the manipulation and you you're not going to feel that tension if you if you don't believe it correct and in a and in a ridiculously tense movie that this is and a movie that you know a movie that not not begins and ends what am i trying to say a movie that breaks and succeeds on its ability to be tense and its ability to be suspenseful if that is at all you know if, if you watching the movie stops feeling that for a second then you're out yeah you need to constantly be feeling that which is why that's such an integral part for me in making this movie work. Yeah. So I just wanted to make really sincere, you know, a really sincere point on the importance of that because it does, it makes or breaks it for me. Definitely. It, like those, those tense moments don't play right. If you don't believe that she's blind, if you see these same three people in this room messing with her and pretending to be other people and doing these like winks and nods to each other, um, and you know, she's just kind of oblivious to it. You're not going to feel for her. You're not going to feel that sympathy. You're not going to feel that, that fear for her. Um, if you don't believe that she really is blind. So it's, it, it, it's a lot of the movie hangs on that, on that point that she plays that to perfection, which she did. So it's obviously a lot of fear, quite a lot of fear to be had with this movie as well, you know? It, it builds and builds, really. Yeah. In terms of fear and, and desperation, almost, particularly from Alan Arkin, it has to be said he's obviously the most the most determined, shall we say, yeah. to actually get this doll. But his desperation comes out as well in little glimpses. Where you start to maybe see him do things he doesn't want to do. You start to maybe see him break his cool, calm persona. Yeah. In frustration, almost. Um, he doesn't understand 
how he can't just simply trick this seemingly very vulnerable woman. Yeah, he thinks that's probably like the easiest thing. Yeah, which he doesn't expect. He thinks it's probably one of the easiest things he's going to do. And the fact that he has to put this much work in, I think, maybe up to a point we see it almost starts to kind of frazzle him a little bit by the end. It does. It starts to annoy him. It doesn't, obviously, it ends pretty thrillingly, shall we say, this movie. Um, but I don't know how much you wanted to talk about how we get there, Janine. Um, yeah, we can kind of talk about the lead up to, you know, our, our big finale. Um, so yeah, we have Susie, Audrey Hepburn. Um, she, her husband has left, um, on a a work trip. And so she's all alone. They know she's all alone. So this is kind of where they set up their plan to trick her and make her think they're like, you know, Mike is this friend of her husband. So he's going to kind of be her point of support. Um, and then, um, the Carlino, I guess, is that his name? Carlino? Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, dirty dancing guy, which we fondly just started calling him. Um, you should just embrace Jack my Weston. method of, <laughs> Jack totally Weston embrace is his name. <laughs> my method of referring to people in movies, either by who plays them or what they are. Most <laughs> for. For. Yes. I know you love <laughs> knowing character names. I know that. But sometimes it's just more fun <laughs> to just say dirty dancing guy. Um, dirty dancing guy. Well, just to give him his moment of respect and due for his performance, Jack Weston. Jack Weston. Who plays Carlino, aka dirty dancing guy. Um, he is going to come in as some kind of investigator character who yeah. then they bring up the point of the doll so that they can kind of subtly see if she knows anything about it and see kind of where her head's at on it if she knows. Um, so they kind of do it at a point to where her husband could be get implicated in the situation because the girl's body, uh, Lisa, her body has been found nearby. So it's in the news that her body has been found. So then they put it into connection with this doll and yeah. um, they kind of bring up that Sam, her husband could be implicated into the situation. So that kind of puts her on a level of wanting to help and figure this out so that her husband does not get wrapped up in any kind of arrest or, you know, blame or any kind of scandalous situation. So that's kind of where the plan is going. She's, we need to find out where this doll is to help out Sam. I'm, I'm a, an, an investigator i'm you know with the police so you can trust me i'm mike you know your husband's friend you can trust me and then that's when alan arkin comes in in. i'm whoever he puts on a voice he puts on a weird he puts on a weird voice he comes in in this like gray wig gray mustache as like this old man um comes like alan arkin now you know yes storms in uh, goes rifling through things and says, oh, here's the proof right here. I have this proof and you're not going to get away with this. And then he storms out. Then like minutes later, Alan Arkin again with now a new disguise, uh, uh, you know, brown hair, brown mustache comes in and says, oh, that crazy man was my father. Um, he thinks my wife, who is actually, I believe, um, uh, is it is it the the Lisa person that they're saying, or is it just somebody else? They say his his, his wife. Um, yes, they are. That is exactly what they're saying, yes. Um, so they're saying, you know, his wife is 
um, he's like, my father thinks my wife has been having an affair with your husband, Sam, yeah. that she's come into this apartment and uh, he's just trying to help me out and, and get some evidence. And that's why he came storming in here like this. Um, so then that's kind of where he plays it. So now they're putting it in her head that her husband could potentially have had an affair and he could have potentially murdered this girl. And this is a serious situation. So we need to know where this doll is. If we know where this doll is, this can solve the break of this whole case and get Sam off and he won't have to worry about any of this. So that's kind of the big situation they spin. Um, so yes, Alan Arkin does come in with these two different disguises, which, you know, you would question, yes, why would he need disguises with a blind woman? But like I said, I think I theorized that, just in case she touched him, the hair would feel different or the facial, yeah, you know, I mean, something would feel different or that if, you know, somebody in the apartment building saw somebody coming in, they would see two different people coming in. So, you know, just to I cover mean, your bases. And that's just how smart and calculated Alan Arkin's character is. So I think that's also just to show that element of the character just being that, you know, ahead of, um, what uh, the situation and, and, you know, anticipating yeah. any kind of thing. I also think it has to be said that obviously throughout this whole, the whole movie is all the majority of the movie. Like I said, he's basically these people trying to trick Audrey Hepburn and, and, you know, get this story that they want to tell as precise as they, as they can in order to get what they want. Yes. But Audrey Hepburn does know some elements of this story she is actually she's not there completely oblivious to exactly she... she's not there taking it all and she has heard about the murder of lisa for example she is aware of this she doesn't need to have that information and they know that so they play on that a simple name a simple or, or a a a reference to Lisa, whatever her last name is, is enough to make Audrey Hepburn realize the seriousness of this supposed reality. Yes. And she knows about the doll. She knows kind of about the handoff and that Sam was supposed to meet her to give it back and all of these things. So she's yes. aware of elements of the situation. I don't think she um, knows exactly what's in the doll. No, she doesn't know that. But even um, just to go back, like I don't think we even mentioned just kind of how creepy the scene is at the beginning when these three men are kind of formulating this plan in her apartment and she comes in and they're all there. Mm. One is hiding behind the door. One is just standing in the hallway. Another one, I think Alan Arkin is still sitting in that chair and they're all just there as she walks through. And she does kind of call out to Gloria, this little girl who does help her out with groceries and helps her around when Sam's not there. Um, so she is thinking that it's Gloria, the little girl in the apartment. So she does call out to Gloria thinking she's tricking her. So she does sense that somebody's there, but Gloria doesn't say anything. So then she kind of just goes about her business doing her things. Um, and then again, she senses somebody's there, um, but they don't say anything. And she calls out to Gloria again and she leaves. So this is kind of setting you up to kind of see like how well is her sensory, you know, uh, side working? Is she able to kind of feel when people are around? Um, and the fact that she kind of subtly thinks maybe, but doesn't fully know that there are three men in this room 
kind of scares you to what's going to happen later yeah. and that these men are manipulating her and tricking her. How is she going to protect herself if she can't tell that there are three men in this room? So I think that was a great setup as well to kind of have you even more worried about her um, as this situation progresses. So we do get a little glimmer that, you know, she is capable of sensing things like that on a small level, um, but not to the level of how, you know, she progresses later on in the movie. So the fact that we get a small glimmer of that is a nice sense of hope to root for her and hope that, you know, she'll develop as she goes on, which I appreciate, but also not enough to take away the fear of potential situations uh, that happen later in this movie. So it really sets you up in a really interesting way um, just with that opening of them kind of formulating in her apartment and her walking in and not even realizing that they're there. Exactly. Exactly. It's what makes the eventual finale of the movie it's not a very long movie i think it's only no. it's only like an hour 45 but it's what makes the eventual finale of the movie feel like it could go either way yeah i suppose in terms of a battle between audrey Hepburn and, and ultimately alan arkin who like i said at this point has seemingly become a little bit desperate and perhaps rash yeah. Just a little bit. Certainly more than he was. It's almost a scarier version of Alan Arkin because you've seen him be cool and calm and cruel. Absolutely. Throughout the whole movie. But now he's all when of those things add... and desperate. <laughs> Desperation. Exactly. When you add all of those things with rashness. When you add all of those things with a sense that he is now going to do anything necessary to get what he wants. That fear is elevated even more. Yeah. And it's played again very well by Alan Arkin. I think you told me somewhere that Stephen King had said something about Alan Arkin in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um I was looking at some kind of interesting facts because I wanted to see, like, did she do anything to um, help her kind of become, become blind? There are a lot of talk about Alan Arkin's performance because he was so great in this movie. Um, there were a lot of comments uh, I read in, in trivia and things about um, people not wanting to take this role because um, of just how sinister and dark it was. And so it was easy for Alan Arkin to get it because nobody really wanted it. Um, well, yeah, I mean, Alan Arkin... <laughs> didn't ha exactly have a long career in 1967. He was no. pretty young at this point. Um, and he even said, like, people asked him, like, were you surprised you didn't get an Oscar nomination for this role? And he was like, um, no, of course they're not going to nominate me for being mean to Audrey Hepburn. Um, but yeah, Stephen King That's did say um, that, you know, this is Stephen King who has written some pretty horrific characters, Pennywise the Clown, things like that. These are the things in his mind. And he said that this character was probably the, the one of the scariest characters he had ever seen. Um, I think it's probably because Rote is entirely real. He's entirely a real human being. These are the kinds of cruel criminals that exist everywhere. Yeah. 
This is that he is not elevated to the fantastical in any way. No. Any way at all. He is someone who could exist in this world who would do those things and treat somebody like this. And Well, he's not even somebody who could exist. He's somebody who does. These people do exist. You just kind of have to hope that you never come across them. Yes. Oh, so I found what he said. He said in his nonfiction book, Dance uh, Macabre, Stephen King declared this to be the scariest movie of all time and that Alan Arkin's performance may be the greatest evocation of screen villainy ever. (laughs) I mean, it's it has to come down to that. It has to come down to the genuine real life criminal element that Alan Arkin has in this movie. Like I said, there's no element of the fantastical to his character whatsoever. It's entirely based in reality. And the intelligence of Alan Arkin, the indifference to violence and cruelty towards anyone, that Alan Arkin has in this movie is why I think an opinion like that can be had by such a person as Stephen King. Yeah. I don't disagree with Stephen King in the sense that this is a particularly nasty character and certainly a very, very memorable one. I would go, I I would say it would maybe be a little bit hyperbolic to be saying things like he is the epitome of on-screen villainy. As I feel if it was that, Wait Until Dark would be a much more known movie. However, that does not... Not to take anything away from that really great performance. It does not at all take anything away from the excellent performance of Alan Arkin, who is, once you have seen the movie, you ain't going to forget him in this movie. Yeah. He is what will bring you back to watching, you know, him and Audrey Hepburn, obviously, you always want to watch Audrey Hepburn. But if you want to watch this movie as an Audrey Hepburn movie, you'll go for Audrey. If you want to watch this movie as a tense thriller, you'll come back to it because of Alan Arkin. Yes. (laughs) He's so very memorable. He will stick in your mind. He will terrify you. And as somebody who is far more terrified by genuine real-world things than they are fantastical, otherworldly things, I am terrified by people like Alan Arkin. <laughs> yes. Um, and the but fact he that he's willing... on me, absolutely. Yeah, like they set him up as terrifying and he does not disappoint. He gives it all. And the fact that he's just willing to do this to uh, someone as that helpless in that kind of situation, uh, I think makes him even more scary. Um, So yeah, the build to that finale, definitely great. Um, I love how she starts to kind of, you know, realize things. She 
has Gloria, the little girl, kind of help her. And the fact that Gloria is just down for it is also really fun, too. She's like, are you willing to do something scary and dangerous? She's like, oh, yeah, I wish this would happen every night. This is, like, fun. So I love that Gloria is kind of, like, just No, Gloria. (laughs) I appreciate that Gloria is just down to, like, you know, get mixed up with this. And that she, she, she ends up safe and fine. Um, that I do like, you know, I, she was like annoying me at first because she was kind of a brat at first, but then, a bit. You know, yeah, but then you grow to be like, okay, Gloria, yeah, you guys are like a nice little tag team here. Um, so I love kind of the moments where she comes to that realization of um, what's going on. Uh, she has Gloria look outside and, you know, she was told earlier by Mike and uh, Carlino that there was, there's a police car outside. Um, so she has Gloria look outside. There's no cop car, just a van. Um, and a man standing by the phone booth. So she's like, okay, well, if you see anyone go in and out of that phone booth, call me, let it ring twice and hang up. And, you know, so that that plan kind of plays out. Um, Carlino comes in. She's like, I'm going to call the cop. He's like, I'll call him. I can get through faster and things like that. And after these kind of weird random phone calls that she's getting and that other people are making, that's when she gets calls from Gloria of people being in the phone booth. So then she's kind of putting things together. Um, she calls Mike for help because she thinks she can still trust him. And Mike does answer the phone. He The phone number he gives her is that phone booth phone number. So she calls it. He answers. Um, he hangs up. And she's like ready to, she tells Mike, I know where the doll is. I found it. So her and Gloria ended up taking the doll. So Gloria brings it back, hides it. The doll makes a noise. That's where they find it. They decide to hide and hide it in the dryer. So once she realizes that Carlino is kind of a fake, um, that's when she uh, calls Mike for help. And as soon as she hangs up with Mike, the phone rings twice and hangs up. So then she knows now that Mike is in on this. And that's kind of the big realization moment. So now she has to hide the doll somewhere else. Her panic in that moment, that build of that, and you're like happy that she now kind of is in the know of what's going on, but you're also terrified for her because now what is she going to do? She already told Mike she has the doll. What? How is she going to get out of this? So then it's a whole situation where she gets them to go look at Sam's studio down a couple blocks down to look for the doll. So she has time to kind of make her plan and figure out what she's going to do. So such a smart moment. Um, and this is yeah. kind of where she uses her, you know, quote unquote weakness as a strength um, yeah. for herself. Um, so just, just a great moment of her knocking out all the lights and taking out the light bulbs and, um, pouring chemicals into a plant and all of these different things, just a really great kind of like home alone, almost <laughs> evoking setup. But a way more, obviously a way oh, yes. more serious version. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. it's playing, playing to what her you are comfortable in as opposed to what you're you know, attackers or invaders. Yes. Giving yourself the upper hand where you can, because you know, you're working with these smart people who have fooled you for the better part of a whole evening. Um, So now it's time to think fast. So I love that she gets them out of the house to give herself that time. And even Gloria tells her, Hey, you know, Carlino's out there keeping watch. So now, you know, you can't leave. Um, so then she sends Gloria away to go to the train station to wait for Sam. And once she finds him, you know, she'll call for the cops, get help. But then when she tries to call, she realizes that, that even that moment when she realizes that the phone line has been cut as um, Alan Arkin has cut the phone line when she was um, talking to, to Mike and, and sending him away to go to the studio to look for the doll. 
that panic there is very intense from her because she's like, what am I going to do? So that's when she kind of formulates her whole plan. Um, And then that's when we get our kind of huge climax of her just kind of sitting in the dark, waiting for Mike. He shows up. He kind of reveals the whole plan to her, what's going on, because she's kind of figured it out. So, you know, she kind of lays out what she's been able to figure out. Mike fills in those missing pieces. So now she kind of knows exactly what she needs to do, what she's working with, what she needs to do. And it's completely, you know, dark in there. Um, And even Mike, I think, kind of shows that he was willing to just get the doll and leave her alone. Like, oh, yeah. You know, he doesn't want to be a part of any kind of sinister part of this plan. He, Richard, you know, Richard Krenner is not in this for violence. Yeah. And neither is Carlino. Yes, which we do see their ultimate plan was to get the doll and then meet up this parking lot. And we've seen now that Alan Arkin has taken out Carlino. He's run him over multiple times in the parking lot yeah. with the car. So he's just a bit of a sadist. He... Exactly. Like he's hitting him once, he's hit him twice, and we see him several times ramming Carlino with this car as he's down on the ground. So just another play of how just disgustingly sinister uh, this character is. So Mike is talking to Audrey Hepburn. He's kind of getting ready to go. And um, he kind of thinks that him and Carlino have the upper hand because, you know, he says, you know, Carlino flipped a coin and he won. So he's going to take out Alan Arkin. So their whole plan was to just get rid of this guy who is kind of lording his bosshood over them. And they will figure it out on their own how to get the doll and whatever. And they figure they can work, work better with her than whatever kind of violent plans Alan Arkin had. So as Mike is kind of... They are, Yes. They are thinking Alan Arkin doesn't know exactly what's going on. Yes. So as he's in the doorway talking to, um, you know, he's about to leave. He's talking to Audrey Hepburn. He stops talking and he gets stabbed. And the fact that like for a second you forget that like she can't see what's going on. So he's just stopped talking and she doesn't really know what's happening. She hears his body tumble down the stairs. She still doesn't really 100% know what happened. And then she hears Alan Arkin. She knows who he is at this point now, that he was playing those two characters and all of this. Um, and now it's kind of the big showdown between the two of them. And then he kind of is bragging about how he knew their plan before they knew. Like, I knew they were coming after me, so I took them out and... Um, you know, they're dumb and this and that. And now he, he starts pouring gasoline all over the apartment, which for me, the one gripe I had was just the fact that like, really, Alan Arkin, if you kill her, you're never going to get what you want. If you kill her, you're never going to find out where that doll is. And I kind of wish that Audrey Hepburn had kind of used that a little bit to to kind of lord that over him and point that out to him. If you kill me, you're not going to get this doll. So you know, you can't kill me. So I kind of wanted her to throw that out there a little bit or him to realize that, that, you know, that, you know, yeah, if he did kill her, how would he, you know, figure out what he wanted to know? I think that's a fair point. I would also potentially make the argument that actually, is Alan Arkin even interested in getting the doll or does he just want to kill people? That's true. If you think about it from that vein and what we've said about this character, you know, is he just there? He, he's just to try and be powerful 
against other people. He's just one of these literal in this moment wanting to watch the world burn type of character. Is he he not literally just a monster? That he'll just burn the place down and and look the best he can in the time he has. Yes. And getting rid of her for all the, the... annoyance she's caused him this evening yeah. um yeah that that is a good point i didn't think about it like that my logical mind as i've talked about as i'm watching a movie is literally like you know if it were me i'd be like dude you kill me you've been you went through all of this for this these drugs and this doll and you're gonna kill me before you find out and i'm not telling you so what are you gonna do so i would have i would have like thrown that in his face several times um because obviously that's what he's after um but if you put it that's that way your... that he really just does not care at this point and he's just like i'm done with this dumb lady she's caused me all this trouble you know f her i'm gonna just burn this place to the ground that makes sense as well for what this character has shown us so far that also for me makes him even scarier yes that he's just basically he could potentially be somebody who simply finds criminal activity out goes to that criminal activity enacts power on it but if it doesn't come to fruition burns it all down starts again yeah that that character was definitely set up to uh have that kind of mentality so that definitely makes sense so thank you for for um putting that thought process in my very logical thinking mind. <laughs> I just, yeah, that I just definitely works you, as well. You can read it either way. Mm-hmm, I this agree. is your logical nice brain mixed with me thinking the worst of everything. <laughs> <laughs> but that, no, the character setup has, has made that a, a very strong possibility. Um, so yeah, he does threaten, so. he does threaten to burn the place down. And that's kind of when she does succumb to, okay, okay. Um, so, you know, and she, she, she does end up kind of getting the upper hand on him. She gets the gas, she throws the gas on him. And that's when we get a really great sequence. All the lights go out and they're in the dark. She has the matches and her just kind of lighting match after match to see for him to be able to see for us to be able to see. And that fear of she could just throw this match and set me on fire because I'm covered in gasoline. Um, just very tense several situations in the dark i think the first one is when she does actually throw those those uh photochemicals at him um that are in the plant to kind of burn him a little bit and like get him all messed up so he's disoriented and then she can turn off the the last light that is on in the apartment so then that's kind of the first kind of dark moment we get and there's kind of a chase happening and that's when she grabs the gasoline can and throws it at him and uh covers him and and has him toss her the matches and great sequence i love the sequence with the lights on with the match and then it burns down and then lights on with the match and it burns down and you don't know if she's gonna like toss it at him or and he's even kind of this is the first time you see him kind of somewhat vulnerable and she's in control and has the power for a minute but we're also kind of powerless because we're in the dark until you know another match gets lit so it's a lot of things happening a lot of emotions running high such an intense really great scene you should say that this movie is directed by terence young who did some early bond movies movies. yes this sequence is better directed than anything in the the, his bond movies. yes (laughs) this is an outstanding climactic sequence it really is and you know what as well i really appreciate it 
I really appreciated about it is the fact that it doesn't hold back with the violence. No. It's a type of movie, Wait Until Dark, that you only tend to get in the late 60s because it still feels like an older era movie. But it has very much more American New Wave kind of topics. Yeah. Where you're able to actually discuss real nasty things in more obvious ways. Yes. That this movie does and deal with stuff and depict this kind of stuff in scarier ways, but more true to life ways. Yeah. Which is, is exactly what Wait Until Dark does do. Yeah, it's great that they but didn't it really doesn't hold that. It really doesn't hold back with its, yeah. its violence in that last bit. Like, the threat of being burned alive is very much... Yeah. There. And so you don't know if she's going to do that to him. So that that's a great moment as well. And so, you know, we're kind of left with our last dark moment where she takes that time to run up the stairs and try to go, but he's put a chain lock on the door so she can't yeah. get out. And so that's where he kind of gets the power back and says, okay, you know, you're not getting out of here. So you need to just stop Give me the matches and all of this. So she finally gives up. She gives him the doll. He cuts it open. Uh, he opens the fridge. She's able to open the fridge so that now there's light he can see. Um, she hears the fridge running. So she knows that, you know, he's illuminated the room in some way for himself. So she gives up, she gives him the doll. He's cutting it open. He puts something in the, in the, in the hinge of the door so that it won't close. Um, so just him even thinking ahead in this stressful moment is just, uh, just another layer of his just yeah. creepiness that he's still able to kind of think of ways to pull off his plan when things haven't gone to plan. Um, yeah. So she gives him the doll. He's cutting it open. He's still like musing about, oh, what a lovely tune this doll is playing. He can still be creepy and and calm and cool in, in this intense moment after all of this covered in gasoline, this whole chase. And he can still make little quips like that. It's also just, wow, this, this guy's insane. So um, as he's cutting open the doll, um, you know, he grabs her and he's taking her to the back room. And she's like, I thought once you got the doll, you were going to let me go. He's like, oh, I must have had my fingers crossed. You know, you think I'm going to let you go? So, and she's able to grab a knife in the time that he's cutting this doll open. So she has a knife. So as he's kind of dragging her to the back room, she stabs him. He Yay. goes down. She gets away. Um, she runs to the fridge to try to, you know, give herself again the upper hand in a dark area but she can't figure out why, why the door's not closing. It's because he put a towel in the hinge, but she can't find it. So she hides behind the door. He comes out, or no, as she's running away, it's a really great actual jump scare. You think he's down pretty well, and as she's kind of running away, he pops out and grabs her leg. And that actually, like, jump, that jump scare got me, for real. Um, this is a part where it does, a, it does very a small part. Just for a minute, does turn into a horror, a horror movie. movie. Yeah, with somebody that has been killed coming out for one last last scare. scare. Yes, it's a very Billy Loomis kind of moment. And um, yeah, when he jumps out and grabs her leg, and she kind of has to fight him off, and he's using the knife to kind of like 
drag himself across the floor and he gets up and she's hiding behind the fridge door. She's fumbling to try to unplug the fridge so the light goes out. She's trying to do whatever she can to give herself that upper hand again. And he's just coming for her. Weirdly, it also reminded me of the end of Terminator. (laughs) That is true. Terminator's just crawling on that one arm. Yes. Through the boiler room or wherever it is. the factory, yeah. Yes. And it's just coming yes non-stop and half dead machine just creaking after yes and so he's fumbling very slowly after her has a knife he's coming for her she's hiding behind this fridge door in a corner and she's fumbling to get it the fridge unplugged so it goes dark and she finally gets it unplugged it all goes dark you hear this scuffle and you kind of don't know what has happened at this point then we get the police car pulling up. It's Sam and Gloria. They rush in. They're kicking down the door because it has that chain. We see the dead bodies. We see Mike. And um, we see Alan Arkin. He's down. But we don't know where Susie is, where Audrey Hepburn is. And they're calling out for her, looking for her. Sam has to put light bulbs in because, you know, it's completely dark. And then she kind of pops out from behind the fridge and everything is okay. She's ninja audrey hepburn fought these these fools in the dark and survives the day and uh yeah and we hug alfred to end the movie yes <laughs> lovely yes it's so good yes it was really good i really loved this movie exactly the kind of movie i love doing on this show because it's the kind of movie that i hadn't heard of until not that long ago and watching it you realize why haven't i heard of yeah. this movie until not that <laughs> so long ago good. why is nobody so talking I, about this and that's the question <laughs> i i do not put that blame on myself i put that blame on society <laughs> for not talking about this movie so that's why we're here talking about wait until dark from 1967 to grow discussion on it discovering new older movies is what we love to do more than anything else on it's a wonderful podcast and that is exactly what we have done this week with this movie go and watch it for god's sake what are you waiting for it's great it's entertaining it's thrilling it's gripping it's just you don't want to take your eyes off it Yes, it's great. You don't you do not want to take your eyes off it. It is just absolutely and we're not endearing. What am what am I trying to say? Engrossing. Yes. Engrossing. It's very it's not endearing. <laughs> no. Not endeared to Alan Hacking. No, no, no. Thank you. Be concerned if you were. But Janine, are we going to call this episode there? I think we are. Well, there we go. Episode 185 of It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show. Wait Until Dark, 1967. Directed by Janine. Terence Young. There you go. Music by, we haven't even mentioned, but it's Henry Mancini of the Pink Panther fame. Yes. So the music's really good as well, obviously. It's a thriller movie. You need good music. You need a good tense score. It works. It yeah. elevates the movie another Very level. So. Great stuff going on in this one. This show. 
the main show, It's a Wonderful Podcast itself, is not the only show we have on this podcast feed. We have Machine Mondays every Monday with yourself, Janine. Yes. Talking all the fun schmodown craziness. We also have Morgan Hasn't Seen every Wednesday with the two of us where you force me to watch movies I haven't seen. And it's four decades of horror month. Morgan Hasn't Seen this month. We covered the 80s, barely, with Prom Night (laughs) this week. And it's the 90s next week with Urban Legend. Yes. So we've got excitement coming up on Morgan Hasn't Seen. Always excitement on this show, the main show, every Friday, Monday, and Wednesday. We have you covered here on this podcast feed you can find us on anchor apple podcast spotify stitcher google podcast Castbox, and all the other places we also have the it's a wonderful podcast youtube channel for you to go and subscribe to and do your notification bell dingling things on <laughs> for the watch alongs and the videos and the stream chats we have over there and our put our uh, getting ready for more things going there as well uh, we've already spoken about the Patreon earlier on, but you can find the show on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. Find me on Twitter at the Purple Dawn with a three instead of the E in the because. Janine. Three is the magic number. On Instagram at the Purple Dawn. All your sinister stuff is well. Ooh, you can find me at Janine Debean underscore on Twitter. Janine Debean on Instagram. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows or check out any of my artwork, you can find all of that at my tea Public shop at G9 Design. I also have a big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com, if you want to get any of my art in print form. Janine, I think you know what I'm going to ask you to do. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to ask for an Alan Arkin impression. Oh please. my gosh! No way! <laughs> okay, try maybe to not an Alan Arkin impression. <laughs> I will. I, I will do your deal on an Alan Arkin impression or an Alfred from Batman. Oh, I can't do either of those. <laughs> or just do whatever you want. <laughs> Three, two. That was a very good Alan Arkin impression. Oh, that was my Alfred.